नमस्ते फर्स्ट ऑफ ऑल आई एम सो हैप्पी दैट वी हैव अ सब्जेक्ट लाइक द रेलिवेंस ऑफ अर्जुना ऑन द बैटल फील्ड ऑफ लाइफ इट इज ऑलवेज बीन एज ए चाइल्ड वेन आई ग्रो अप विद महाभारत एंड रामायणा इट वॉज एन एनिग्मा टू मी दैट हाउ कम दीज एपिक्स हैव एंड्योर द रब एंड चेंज ऑफ टाइम राइट अप टू टूडेज टाइम दे कैरी नॉट ओनली रेलिवेंस बट so much we can derive from them and then of course reading all through the webs and mazes of psychology what i discovered is that these epics have been written with such a marvelous sense wherein all the archetypes of human nature we find in the mahabharata of course in the ramayana also but in the mahabharata so their relevance is going to be universal and for future time to come because they are about human nature in all the various shades and if we want to understand human psychology human beings human personality one of the best books is mahabharata one of my students uh, being a psychiatrist uh, somebody asked me that you know where to read psychology from best books so i i spontaneously replied and i would still say the same read the mahabharata and you will know all about human psychology in a much better way than all the standard textbooks which are so much you know they they are disconnected with life you have human personality described as a cluster of things and all but in the mahabharata we see these archetypes naturally organically growing in life we can connect with them without labeling them and not only we can connect with them they show the path that each archetype takes and its inevitable consequence for instance we see karna a capable person who is in every way a wonderful you know both a human being and a capable person but what happens to him is ambition takes the better of him and because of that in spite of being so capable in spite of being you know even a wonderful human being he meets his nemesis going through the road of you know wanting to skip the steps and wanting to jump through uh, you know the need for a quick success the need for outer name and fame so this is a, these are very fascinating stories and among all of them we see the hero of course the hero is shri krishna but he is the invisible king <laughs> the hero of the epic arjuna who is in the forefront in the middle of the battlefield so who really is arjuna uh, what makes him really such a disciple that he can receive the teaching of the gita the setting is very interesting you know now of course we teach the gita in uh, ashramas and you know there are big lectures seminars um you know people talk about each mantra and they try to uh, understand the sanskrit but look at the setting of the gita it is given in the middle of the battlefield and when is it given when i mean there are lot of um, equally competent warriors equally dharmanist people in the battlefield there is bhishma there is yudhishthir uh, you know there is uh, many other but the gita is given to arjuna and what makes arjuna so special to receive the gita is one number 1 he is a man of action he has not shunned action so far it is action that prepares us to reach a point where we can receive the divine teaching straight and direct so if we like to withdraw from life some people try to give gita a completely inner symbolic significance but that's not what the gita is the language itself the beginning itself where duryodhana comes and describes all the warriors on this side the other side is not just of an inner symbol there is an inner path but the gita is about real life real action in real time and it connects us so much with yoga itself because yoga is not something which we do sitting for 2 hours in a meditation or you know as a specialized procedure but it cuts through the very maze and jungle of life and what makes arjuna specially fit for receiving the teaching of the gita is the way he has met the challenges and shocks of life neither shrinking from them neither aiming at quick success of course like any other person he has his own uh, they are all egoistic the pandavas as well as the kauravas but what is special about arjuna is that he must refer every action to a higher principle that is something beautiful about arjuna and it's representative of a person who is really uh, illumined in his mind it's the sign of an illumined intelligence there are two kinds of action two ways people act one is they act and think later and the other is they think they deliberate they want to discern a principle 
it's not that they act and justify the action arjuna wants a concrete justification for the act in which he is called upon to indulge and this action is not something new to him but here he faces a kind of inner moral ethical Uh, social religious crisis where all the standards of conduct so far that he has you know tried fail and isn't it so true of our own life that there are moments when we reach a point where we just cannot choose it's easy to choose between an apparent right and an apparent wrong but very difficult to choose when the choice is between two apparent right to fight a battle which is uh, righteous which has been thrust upon him is right to take lives of the opponents that is also right but equally it is right to spare those whom he loves whom he cherishes these are the conflicts that arjuna makes this is the conflict that is going on within arjuna what is the standard of conduct with which we should lead life and whoever has that question and that question has come to him not in some intellectual wanderings of the mind sitting on an armchair but that question has come to the person while engaging with the battle of life धर्मक्षेत्र कुरुक्षेत्र द फील्ड ऑफ अनफोल्डिंग धर्मा इट ऑल फील्ड ऑफ एक्शन कुरुक्षेत्र इज द फील्ड ऑफ द इवॉल्विंग धर्मा एज यू नो शोविंद पुट्स इट सो थ्रू एक्शन वी ग्रो थ्रू एक्शन वी इवॉल्व एंड दोज शन एक्शन आर रियली नॉट रेडी और फिट टू रिसीव द टीचिंग ऑफ द गीता दिस समथिंग सो वंडरफुल इट्स नॉट अ मोनेस्टिक Uh, you know there is a, of course a second gita which was given much later but even that's not a monastic gita it is given in the codes of um uh, yudhishthira after the war but this is the gita so this is the first thing that the gita gita teaches us that don't shun action but does it mean that just to act blindly in our ignorance no it leads us from step to step to the highest possibility in action itself and that's the beauty of arjuna that he's a man with a satvik rajasik disposition so in the battle of life we meet the challenge in three particular modes as the gita describes there are the three gunas and man meets the challenges of life in three modes of uh, nature first is the tamasik mode whenever he meets a challenge his tendency is to be overburdened oh this is too much for me oh i am not fit let me accept whatever is coming my way so this is the stage when one is like the uh, you know like a donkey bearing the weight of the world burden and he is like a slave just moving here and there he doesn't really fight so he is afraid of fighting he prefers to succumb and in the process even break down then take the challenge of life head on then there is the rajasik man the kinetic man he loves to fight but he fights mostly for his own egoistic pressure for joy for dominate to control to possess to expand these are the kinds of the actions in which the rajasik egoistic man engages and there is the third way of meeting the battle of life and that is the satvik man who basically wants to avoid fight but not because of the tamasik man who doesn't want at all to fight because he doesn't have the nerves and the steel for it but the satvik man who always looks for an illumined principle of harmony and order intrinsically he may fight but he'll fight for peace for creating harmony that's how yudhishthira is convinced for the fight because otherwise he wouldn't fight he can fight he's a kshatriya he's a good warrior yet he would not fight because he prefers harmony over you know war and disintegration so this is the three ways man meets the challenges of life and arjuna is the satvik rajasik man so he already has he knows he is the highest type of humanity and yet these standards fail him there is no likelihood of harmony here there is no likelihood of order here and therefore shri krishna bids him to take the challenge and fight but how to fight not through the modes of gunas of nature because they bind us they hold us back the gita shows us a path of liberation through action and that is something very very wide so all field of action can become a means for liberation it is so contrary to you know some of the monastic teachings where action is regarded as a bondage and there also was a teaching based unfortunately on the isha upanishad that you know actions are necessary only till we are in the world after we have withdrawn from the world action is no more necessary and that's why some people who come to the ashram and of course oroville they're completely surprised because you know when you go to an ashram you expect a feeding place bhojan bhandar a meditation place where you sit for meditation maybe a hospital where you are you know if you are sick you are looked after but for all the rest sit and meditate and when you come to the ashram or even more oroville you see multiple activities taking place 
all life, all field of action is a means for evolution. This is the first thing that Gita brings in prominence. But if we act according to the mode of the three gunas, we'll be bound. But Gita wants to take us to a state of inner liberation through the outer action and therefore it bids Arjuna to rise above the three gunas in a state where it's a divinely inspired action. So we have an action which is inspired by nature and acting through the ego. Even there, it is the divine who is hidden behind. But that action gets distorted in the process of transmission. Much like when the prime minister or president, I don't know how is it in UK, but everywhere, more or less the story is the same, that an order is passed. By the time it comes back, right to the point of implementation, there are many ifs and buts between the cup and the lip. Now the Gita teaches us how to reach to a state where the action is directly inspired by the divine and it, it's when the divine action unfolds, it is not fixed into slots of papa and punya, sin and virtue. That's a human qual- qualification. But it's an action which is necessary at that point of time for the progressive unfolding of the dharma or the world march. So the next step, the next thing that Gita teaches us is that, okay, fine, attuning to the divine, but why is the divine engaging in such an action? Why there is so much horror in the world? Sometimes, you know, this is a question people ask. And uh, because of that, they shrink in recoil. Tamasic nature shrink in recoil when they see this aspect of the world existence. And uh, Shubhinda would tell us that if we shrink from world existence, we are not the adhikari for that grand vision of Sri Krishna on the battlefield of Kurukshetra, where he reveals himself as time the destroyer. You see, this is something very unique about uh, Indian thought, the Sanatana Dharma, that we have seen the divine even in destruction. Goddess Kali, she is the mother. Not that we are apostles of destruction. No, not at all. But if it happens, we see in her also the mother, the saving hand of grace. And that is itself a kind of compassion where this destruction frees the world march for its upward movement. So dharma in principle, there are two ways of looking at dharma, which is exactly what Arjuna is being asked to undertake, an action which is consistent with dharma and through dharma it becomes uh, a divinely inspired action. So this dharma is essentially, there are two aspects. One is something which is eternal and true. What is at the base of this creation of this world? There are those who believe that at the base of this world there is only desire and life is meant for enjoyment. That action is a non-starter, it is a dharma because the very base is wrong. We may believe in some god and go to temple, that doesn't make a difference. If we believe that at the base of this creation there is desire, as the asuras believe and therefore life is a field of enjoyment, we have really deviated from, it is a dharma, even if it be, look like a very great action. You know, there are people who may donate money to relig- for religious purposes, go every day to a temple or a church, that doesn't make an action dharmic. It is still a dharma because the base is desire. On the other hand, what Sanatana Dharma teaches is that at the base of this creation, there is truth. And this truth is not just something fixed, which is, it is also unfolding through creation. And it is to this unfolding, that we are called upon to participate. And this unfolding is always upward towards wideness, towards light, towards freedom, towards unity, towards harmony, towards benevolence, towards the victory of good and truth over all that opposes it. So all that opposes, when mother was asked as to, mother how to, you know, it's not easy to know the divine will. She said, how to really act in this world? So she said, as a general rule, all that creates or leads towards unity, harmony, growth of peace, light, true love, all this is consistent with the divine action. And all that leads to its opposite, division, confusion, disorder, hatred, and the rest, all that is not a divine action. She said that as a general rule. So this is the first principle that Arjuna is taught to follow, that go along with the dharma. And always the dharma is unfolding through a struggle. Why? Because there are retrogressive forces which want to pull the world down and their action is very deceptive. We know that during the Second World War, how Shurbindo uh, could see through the entire facade of Hitler and, uh, you know, though he was using the swastika as a symbol and he talked about the Superman and the word Arya. And yet Shurbindo said that this is a asuric force which is behind 
this man and then he was asked that don't you think that do you really believe that um, the forces allied forces they are all uh, nice good people he said no even the pandavas were egoistic but their victory meant that the path of evolution of the world will remain open on the other hand if the axis powers were to win it would mean that the evolutionary path will be blocked and the world would go back thousands of years behind see this is the beautiful aspect of the understanding of the gita now even great people idealistic people can miss it look at the picture of you know a great man like subhash chandra bose no doubt great fearless and yet shaking hands with japan and with hitler because in his idealism he he could only see one aspect of the story india so whoever is the enemy of india and as it is said in one of those uh, panchatantra tales that the friend of or the enemy of the enemy is a friend and that's how he wanted to shake hands with hitler and shubindu cautioned that it is dangerous so this distinction between dharma and adharma is so subtle what is really going to lead us towards a greater world towards opening the path towards light freedom immortality and that's why we see the kurukshetra war war is a last option but it is something real it happens in life in all our inner life and outer life so kurukshetra is at once within as well as outside shundha makes it very clear so though inner war we all know all the time we cannot take one step forward in life without leaving something behind us without millions of creatures call it microbes today you know apologies for non violence i don't know what they have to say about the corona and you know man's race against it you have to fight there is no way this is an aspect of the world march and struggle if you take at that point a stand that i am not going to kill any jeeva which is of course um, coming in the form of a virus so we are literally exposing the world i mean whatever way we fight inwardly outwardly is not the issue it's not about vaccine or inner means but war is a necessity of the world march that's why we see that entire evolution of this world has been through war even when there is no physical war there is war at the intellectual level war of ideas clash of ideas shubindu quotes heraclitus who says that through the war of ideas that fathers the universe and if we look at entire you know i'm cutting down the whole story but if you look at the entire somebody was other day asking me that you know uh, now that the age of gods is over mother has spoken about it but won't it lead to the you know fall of religion no in india if you see that it is through the clash and strife all the gods of the vedas went to an inferior position in the time of the gita indra who is a great god in the vedas suddenly indra becomes relegated to an inferior position which is narayana vishnu and shri krishna himself taking the lead and now we are going beyond the god so this idea of dharma is an evolutionary movement and any evolutionary movement will bring war and wherever this we, we are not willing to engage in that that means we are paving the path for destruction and that is what i must say since it is contextual that is what is happening to some of the religions which are not willing to evolve they are stuck in a book and stuck in a founder and that's the end of the story because they are not ready to evolve further and that's the beauty of sanatan dharma that even in religion it has chosen the path of evolution what was relevant 5000 years back you can't be fighting for instance today with bow and arrow times have changed or wear a dhoti so this is the way it evolves so this is the second aspect so there is the arjuna the representative humanity who is ready to receive the gita because he has not shunned the great battle of life there is a very beautiful line in savitri describing this whole thing how man gets ready for this you know reaching this point and he says that um, about the master of the world he says uh, our errors are his steps upon the way one who has made this world is ever its lord our errors are his steps on the way he works through the fears vicissitudes of our lives he works through the hard breath of battle and toil he works through our sorrows our sins and our tears so this is how he works through this is the process of evolution where the downward forces do not leave us easily and one has to struggle one has to say no that's why often um, i have learnt it the hard way but i can always say that you know one of the biggest challenges of life is to learn to say no it's very difficult 
at least was very <laughs> difficult for me i can say for sure very difficult to say no and yet can we really move forward if we don't know how to say no to say no is empowerment we are taught that to say yes is empowerment to say no to say no to all that is evil to say no to all that leads us backward that is a great so there is a war there are those who do not want this and there are those who are representatives so in this passage it ends very beautifully after we have served this great divided world god's bliss and oneness are our inborn right this is the qualification of arjuna to receive the gita gita's teaching cannot be understood really speaking sitting in a monastery and uh, analyzing the shlokas one has to meet the challenge of life not only within but also outwardly the second aspect is the kurukshetra the whole field of action of human life including the terrible massacre to which a kshatriya is called upon in fact the more greater the challenge the more the evolutionary possibility see when the first world war took place and the mother saw the bodies and soldiers who came some of them severely wounded she was actually actively engaged in looking after them so much so that she was taking it all on her nerves and they got affected Uh, so when she was seeing them she said because they have paid the price these soldiers have gone and made tried to make the ultimate sacrifice and therefore by this act itself they become ready for the new creation so this is the truth which has been distorted into that you know blow yourself up and you will go to heaven no these are the soldiers who were fighting for saving the life of the world and when we do that opens the path that's why in indian thought you know um, those who fought and died they were called uh, as given veer gati and through this veer gati the doors of heavens were opened for them because they gave the ultimate sacrifice of their even physical life embodied existence so even the physical war has its own place in the evolution of this earth and this creation that's how one has to look at it at the same time it is at once an inner war where man is constantly looking for higher and higher standards of conduct and this can apply in everyday life you know when mira goes through a inner crisis another kind because her husband and the family members they want her to follow the shakta parampara in which you know you have to kill a um, uh, buffalo and sacrifice and all that happens you know shats are shakti upasak and on the other hand she is a vaishnava she is lover of krishna in that form not as the chakradhari but the flute player and she cannot accept now she is torn in conflict between following the dharma of her in-laws or following her own lead and a moment comes when divine grace she has to abandon leave the Uh, house and walk alone i mean we cannot imagine what that uh, she the princess must have undergone and she writes to tulsidas am i doing a right thing because <laughs> you know am i really doing a right thing shouldn't i go back and adjust with my in-laws and tulsidas that famous letter of tulsidas jaake priya naram vaidehi so chhadiye taji koti bari sam jadbi param sanehi he gave the example of bibhishna he gave the examples of bharat he gives the example of bali for the sake of truth one renounces bali guru te jo bharat bibhishan bandhu bharat mahatari they had to leave something with that power of renunciation it's not something outward but inner because one is impelled by the truth and that first truth one has to follow is the truth within so gita speaks about the sudharma which is so central to the teaching of the gita nowadays when children grow up we immediately want to put them in a slot you will become this you will become that what is their sudharma what is it that they really the we may use a modern language the angst within them which wants to express itself and that is the first lead that we are given the second lead we are given is along with that is to keep track of the dharma in terms of the world march and finally the final lead comes when all this dharma through which we have evolved so far we abandon at the feet of the divine and then he says sarva dharman parityajam amekam sharanam raja then we become candidate for receiving the divine will but the most important part of the battlefield of life and arjuna's relevance is we um, have not given in the title because he is the invisible king and that is no action upon earth can ever be complete without realizing and understanding that all action the soul doer 
the master of all works is the divine within. The Gita's people often ask, but we don't have a Krishna. Krishna is in all of us. Shabindu says he is the eternal teacher seated in the heart of man. And that's how Krishna reveals himself in the Gita. After the Gita, it's different. And before the Gita, it's different. But during the Gita, he makes it very clear that I am the one, the friend of all creatures who is seated within your heart. Very clearly, he reveals himself. And the mother describes this so beautifully when she was in France and she was given a copy of the Gita. She says a very poor French translation. But nevertheless, all that the person who gave her told her, you know, Krishna is the imminent divine. And within a few months, she had realized the great teaching of the Gita. Just to know that the reins of her life ultimately are in the hands of the divine. And to consciously and deliberately hand it over. There is the image in the Gita itself. And the Mahavarata image is so wonderful that there are the steeds and there is the rain and there is the one who holds the rain, none else but the divine teacher. And there is the Rath and there is the Rathi, Arjuna. So this image is the image of our life. So the horses are the steeds. And if you don't apply rain to them, they will carry us. They are the senses. So the senses will carry us wherever, you know. Oh, I feel like doing this. I feel like doing that. That is a journey which the senses are taking us. Imagine sitting on a horse and the horse carrying us. <laughs> will, you know, those places where you sit on a horse for, I think, one minute. And the horse or the bull is doing all kinds of gymnastic and one falls. That is the example of modern, not modern life, but a sense-driven man. You have no control because it's a machine. And that bull is making all kinds of gestures. You have to just hold on to or you will fall. So when we are driven by the senses, it's as good as or as bad as sitting in a car and putting it on autopilot. Nowadays we have cars. And then saying, okay, I am going to chill and relax. Where is the car going to? Wherever it feels like taking or telling the driver, you take me wherever you wish to. It's as dangerous as that. So the next is the reins. And the reins is the mind, the sixth sense. The mind should always be alert and awake, conscious, aware. Where are the senses taking me? Is it Are they taking me to my goal? Or they are taking me away from the goal? So always to remember the goal in front. When we go through the battlefield and the, all the appearances are confusing. The mother gave a very beautiful thing. That when appearances are very confusing, when you can't understand anything... Then just remember divine is all. He is the all. And just call ma, ma, ma. Why? Because then we are oriented correctly. There are moments in the battlefield when we don't know which way to go. And that time we must know that I may not know. My outer mind does not know. But you know, O Keshava who is seated within the heart, where I must go. Take me to where I must go. And then to abandon the reins in his hands. So there is this mind which must be aware of what is the goal. The moment we forget goal, the Gita says that is being perishing. When we forget our very goal of life. So the, the mind holds the reins. And beyond the mind, there is the Sri Krishna. Now in the Gita's image, he is the buddhi. The buddhi discerns which way the steed should go. The mind must put a rein on them, Sanyama, and the buddhi is the one which decides. And finally, we have the Arjun who is the Rathi, the soul. Soul is the one who is being carried in this journey. And what is the chariot? Chariot is the body. It's a wonderful image. And this image to remember that the body, you see, is the significance of the body itself. In a battle of life, we cannot ignore the body. It's a chariot. It must be strong. It must be supple. It must be ready to take a hundred assaults. And yet not succumb. So this is the whole image that we see in the Gita. And the divine teacher most important who is within us. So Sri described very beautifully the ways of dealing of the divine with uh, humanity. Is typified in the relation of Arjuna and Krishna. So how is it typified? Normally the divine does not intervene. He allows the action to develop along a course. And people feel that they are the doers of the action. And so long as this ego sense is there, that's how the action develops. But there are critical moments when there is a call that goes to the divine like an SOS and he intervenes. And we see at least in the Gita, in, in Mahabharata, there are three clear moments when the call goes or the choice comes and the divine intervenes. One is when Draupadi, during the Chirharan, she calls the divine and he intervenes. The second is during the moment when Durvasa Rishi have come and you know they have been sent by Duryodhana, the scheming 
Shakuni and Draupadi doesn't know because the Akshay Patri is over and suddenly Krishna comes out of the blue because she is praying, help me, what do I do? He will, you know, be full of wrath and curses and then Krishna takes a grain of rice and say, ah, I am trapped and the whole, you know, Dhruvasa Rishi and all of them feel full. And the third is, when before the battlefield, Arjuna and Duryodhana are given a choice. And it's a very interesting choice. It may look like an imbalanced choice. And this is the final message of the Gita. On one side is Sri Krishna unarmed, alone. And the other side is his Sena. After all, even those who oppose him are his army. What an interesting Chaturangini Narayani Sena. And what is special about Narayani Sena? They have been trained by Narayana. They are not ordinary warriors. They are the ones whom Krishna himself has trained in a way. And on one side he says, I will be there. On one side there will be my army. And Duryodhana, the practical man, the pragmatic man. Both are pragmatic men. But Duryodhana who is just looking for his own advantage, benefits. He says, I want your Sena. Whereas for Arjuna, I want Krishna unarmed. This uh, uh, incidence, Shurabindu has uh, of course immortalized in one of his aphorisms. He says, if you have Krishna unarmed and alone on one side and the world with all its shrapnel and everything on the other side, yet choose Krishna. This is a choice that we face every moment in life and the world. On one side is something which will give us immediate benefit, immediate advantage. On the other side is the will to do the will of God, to become his instrument, to become his channel, to express him, to manifest him. We don't know the means, doesn't matter. He will prepare us. He has prepared Arjuna not in this life, through lives. He has prepared him. And even in this life, he has prepared Arjuna through all kinds of tapasya. Arjuna has been along with the Pandavas banished, then Arjuna has to do tapasya to get the Divyastra. And then Arjuna becomes a fit instrument. And the first thing that we have to learn to become an instrument of God is, as the Gita says, and Sri Krishna teaches Arjuna that you are not the doer. You are just an instrument. I will do. Because that is the eternal truth of our being which we don't know. So, when we go through the battlefield of life, constantly to refer, remember and offer, to refer every action to the divine within. We do not know what is good. Not for success or failure. To fight with an equal mind, equal spirit. To rise above virtue and sin. Even that the Gita says. Through the rise beyond the intellectual notions of virtue and vice. Because very often they told us back. The other day I was, you know, sometimes, uh, it, this is a problem which specifically comes, you know, in all parents, but in, in Hindu parents, <laughs> there is a solution to it. You know, generation problems take place. And uh, on one side, children want to grow beyond. And on the other side, parents, so we must listen to the parents, obey the parents. Um, sometimes, even if parents are obviously... Uh, not saying or doing the right thing. Uh, I hope parents don't pass a fatwa on me. But nevertheless, this <laughs> truth is truth. And <laughs> so they say, isn't it uh, written in our scriptures that you must listen to the parents? I say, I don't know. The last I read was teaching of the Gita, which doesn't say so. It says, if necessary for the sake of dharma, stand against the parents, the grandparents, the guru, everybody is included. So look at it, there is no outer standard of conduct but truth and truth alone. Because that is the saying of the scripture. In the end it's truth that triumphs and not falsehood. Satyameva jayate nanritam, satyena panthavitato deviyana. So this is the great mighty teaching which liberates us from all trappings. We can't choose action purely by the intellectual mind. Of course, so long as we don't have a higher standard, then we use these things. They have, they have their place. We have morality, ethics, all these standards are important as long as they are fulfilling their purpose and our egoistic needs. But a time comes when we want a greater truth, a greater principle. When we see that on one side there is our elders or whoever, um, you know, they are asking us to do something. On the other side, there is evidently a greater truth. And then what we should do is follow the lead, the inner lead which is leading us. And at the same time, remember and offer that action to the divine. Not for any personal gain. Certainly it is not an advice that, you know, uh, don't listen to uh, others because of your own personal desires and gains. No. But it's about the unfolding of 
dharma. The only thing within, so in Indian thought, you, we don't find so much about Papa and Punya. That's a completely Christian conception. I'm sorry, but you know, it's about vice and virtue. What it does is, uh, the difference between this and dharma, dharma is that vice and virtue draw a line. Black and white. This is sin. The seven sins. <laughs> on the other side, there is all the good things. Now imagine somebody is standing on that entire left side column. He doesn't know how to leap to that right side column. So very often it leads to hypocrisy. We put up a facade of being very nice like two generations before children. They would smoke but their parents had this idea that my child is, you know, he's a wonderful child. So what they used to do? The moment they saw their parent, they would hide the cigarette behind. So it leads to hypocrisy. But now we had a different truth altogether and that truth was in that saying of the Upanishad, Asado ma sadgamiya. It's a journey. Black to white is not a switching over. <laughs> By you know now you are through the green channel and now you get onto the side. No, it was a journey out of the non-being to the true being. Asado ma sadgamiya. Tamso ma jyotirgamiya. Through shades. This is nature. This is real life. There's not like suddenly there is there is a journey. We go through shades of grey. And then there is the emergence of the light. And mrityur ma amritam gamya. From death and complete denial of the divine being, we move to a point where we discover the divine being and are thrilled with that ecstasy. So when we understand it's a journey, in that journey we have dharma and a dharma constantly coming to us. Dharma and a dharma are not one column. It's not like all violence is adharma and non-violence is dharma. That's a completely um, western conception of things. Violence can be dharma, as Kali and Shri Krishna on the battlefield of Kurukshetra. Violence can be adharma, as the asuras do it. Non-violence can be dharma, as the Buddha, mighty Buddha, walks and he inwardly masters himself. And discovering that inner immobility of nirvana, he gives a great teaching to the world. Non-violence can become adharma, if somebody like Arjuna, a Kshatriya, who is called upon to defend being a champion of the righteous, called upon to de- defend the downtrodden, the, the people who are uh, suffering and the tyrants are on their back and who says, no, 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 I will not follow any violence because I have changed my surname and I have, you know, uh, I want to shave my head and walk into the forest. That non-violence will be a dharma. So very often people try to say Gita is a gospel of violence. It's neither. It's not about violence or non-violence. Dharma and adharma are not an action. Dharma and adharma are states of being. There, a, a terrible violence like the battlefield of Kurukshetra could be a tremendous dharma. And Arjuna has been immortalized. I'm sure Arjuna would have never thought that time there were no televisions to take. Uh, thankfully, nobody took an interview of Arjuna. How do you feel after the war? <laughs> And of course he said, I feel miserable <laughs> killing all this. And of course Krishna's eternal smiles like a saving grace. But there would have been a lot of discussions. Arjuna is not following the teaching of the Sanatan Dharma. He is a violent man, wicked man. He should be banished. All this would have flashed with the liberal thought that Arjuna is somebody who is, uh, you know, not at all. He would have been confused. But... History and time passes the final verdict. Arjuna continues to be the hero of mankind. He continues to be one of those heroes who engaged in a terrible massacre to save humanity through the great war. So this is how we have to look at action. It's not about right or wrong. It's about the field of evolving dharma is Kurukshetra. What is right at one stage becomes wrong at another. And most importantly, it is there within us, within our heart. Nobody else can tell us. So we have to learn to tune into our inner heart, inmost heart, and come in contact with the immanent divine. This is the task given to man. Without the divine teacher, there is no relevance of Arjuna. There is no relevance of Kurukshetra. With the divine teacher, he could pick up anyone and turn him into an Arjuna. Provided man has not shunned the great battle of light and lived with certain high standards, sattvic man. That is the kind of humanity which is picked up by the divine to become his great instrument in the great world action. I'll close by reading just one passage from Essays on the Gita. So, 
is a very powerful passage and it's so relevant at all times whenever we are in a called upon to battle what we should remember we are all the time remembering about this person that person this hurt that problem all the cobwebs of the mind shri krishna when arjuna is in a state of confusion should i or should i not and shri krishna of course says in the gita has few shlokas but look at how sure bindo i would use the word hyperpotentizes it when mother was asked about the gita she said shubindo has written in a forism that the gita will still liberate mankind the mother added and now with sure bindo's essays on the gita appearing its action has become much greater and manifold and it's so true read this passage it is the creed of the aryan fighter so who is the aryan aryan is a man who fights for truth and light and plenty within within also there is the war to make sure that hatred jealousies all these fears all these notions they are kept in the they are slain actually come the six band of spirits enemies but also there is the battle outside it is the creed of the aryan fighter no god first thing is to know god it says know thyself no god and know who we really are not this conglomeration of body cells thoughts and some feelings this outer personality we pride upon this business card we are none of these things we are the eternal immortal soul and this should not be just a intellectual conception but a discovery know thyself help man this is the command given to us but we cannot help man unless we know god and know ourselves that is the other part otherwise we'll be rushing into action like as the famous saying goes that fools rush where angels fear to tread so one should be careful help man protect the right right with a capital r this right is not just about right with a small l intellectual conception the right is rit things should be according to a divine rhythm protect the right do without fear of weakness or faltering thy work of battle in the world what will come to us as a result of all this battle it may be the poison of the world drink it like shiva it may be the amrit give it to the lord to distribute it among the many this is how yagna is conducted so he says do without fear or faltering thou art the eternal and imperishable spirit thy soul is here on its upward path to immortality everybody is towards moving towards that great grand disclosure this another great teaching of the gita that look here regardless this upward current is so powerful this is the truth of vedanta it's not like there is punishment and reward these are very crude notion the only reward if any is a growing closeness to god the only punishment if any is a veiling of the inner godhead that's why the gita says this god within is despised by the asuras so what do the asura how do they despise the god when they drink alcohol and when they do all kinds of things what are they doing they are torturing the god within krishna with kama krodha fear all this they actually are binding him of course krishna will break free maybe with the death of the body because he can slay and with full of compassion he slays without stint and is full of compassion but that's not the path man must take life and death are nothing this is the great teaching we can't fight the battle of life if we are always cringing for our own little survival survival may be the first necessity of the cave man <laughs> but <laughs> it is not of the man who is rising on the crest of splendor the high points of humanity are not about personal survival but of the greater good that's what make it a man great thy soul is here on its upward path to immortality life and death are nothing sorrow and wounds and sufferings are nothing i would say they are the kumbhavishekam you know morning people do this abhishek of shiva with milk and the abhishek of a human being who is growing toward the god it is through these wounds sufferings they are the price he pays readily and happily for these things have to be conquered and overcome equanimity to be really an instrument of the great world action as arjuna is look not at thy own pleasure and gain and profit this mentality cannot earn us god it may earn us some tinsels but to really put our names in the list of the divine will we have to get rid of this 
mentality of what benefit I will get. People even turn to God saying that what are we going to get out of it? So divine would say supramental. No, 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 that we don't want. Will I get my next promotion? Divine may say, well, you may lose it. <laughs> don't say this, sir. See, this is what I did to the Pandavas, you remember? They were banished into the forest. Sir, you are being very dangerous. This divine I don't want. I want a divine who fulfills my wishes. God would say, then you are looking for a genie in the bottle, not for God. So that's not how the divine acts. So what we should look at, but above and around, above at the shining summits to which thou climbest, around at this world of battle and trial, you know, this shining summits to which one, it reminds me of one of the poems. Is it Cheshankar Prashad? Himadri Tunga Shringa Se Prabuddha Shuddha Bharati Swam Prabha Samujjwala Swatantra Tapukarti Shubindu writes it in invitation. I am the spirit of freedom and pride. Stark must he be and a kinsman to danger who shares my kingdom and walks by my side. The shining summits. This is nothing. What is happening in one lifetime and few things, this is nothing. The real thing is the summits of glory, divine glory, which is the crown of our existence towards which all human nature, all human beings are climbing. Around at this world of battle and trial in which good and evil, progress and retrogression are locked in stern conflict. Men call to thee, their strong man, their hero for help. Help then, fight, destroy when by destruction the world must advance. And sometimes this destruction can be something very seemingly small. You know, Champaglalji used to wear a janev. And uh, the mother once asked him, do you want to wear it? He said, no mother, I don't believe in it. But because you know, my parents will feel bad. Mother kept quiet for a while. Then she said, maybe if you remove it, they will evolve. (laughs) 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 This is another example of Shirovindu. See how divine beings don't act according to our mental notions. So Amrita is that time Tamil Brahmin. And he is there, he comes a young lad, 15, he is coming to meet Shirobindo. And often he would stay back in his house and he is sleeping. One day Shirobindo calls uh, Subramaniam Bharti and, uh, no, uh, Nalida and tells him to do a surgery without anesthesia. What is that surgery? He has to remove the choti. Night, the choti is removed, clean and he doesn't know. Morning when he sees his face, then he shocked. He says, my father is going to meet me after two days. What will he think of me? Sure enough, the father came. And he said, oh my God, I had seen a girl for you. And now I can't show my face, let alone. I had promised, but such a child with no choti. You are a lanchan on the Brahmins. But that Amrita was destined to become a person whom the mother said, the one and only the first and last manager of the Sri Ashram. Mother's words. She said there will be none like him ever after. So when we shed the past, we emerge into the future. And if we hold on to the past for the supramental life, Mother said only two things are needed. Do not cling. And second is the thirst for progress. It doesn't matter where we are, what we are doing. She said if you have this thirst for progress and you do not cling, then even the extravagances of an American youth are a path. So this is the battle which goes on all the time. But at the same time, but hate not that which thou destroyest. Don't let hatred and all this come. They are Hatred, jealousies are emotions which kill the person who harbors them first. <laughs> so without hatred, because it's the thing to be done. Know everywhere... Neither grieve for all those who perish. Little more difficult, but still. Know everywhere the one self. As Shubhinda says in one of his poems, My rival's downfall is my own disgrace. I look at my enemy and see Krishna's face. So, uh, success and failure were never in the original script of God. This is the mind that came in. Oh, success and failure. It is to play the game and grow. Play it well. It doesn't matter if you lose or win. Play it well. This is not a consolation for Indian team. But nevertheless, play well. Then you lose, it's no problem. You know, people who play well and then they lose, you're fine. But when you play miserably and lose, you say, what's the point of the game? Play well. Play your best. Give your best and then it doesn't matter. Know everywhere the oneself. Know all to be immortal souls and the body to be but dust. 
do thy work with a calm strong and equal spirit fight and fall nobly or conquer mightily this is the great indian civilization fall nobly or conquer mightily for this is the work that god and thy nature have given to thee to accomplish so i'll um, put a pause button here if there are questions i'll be very happy to thank you very much bhai especially by um, ending with uh, what you read from essays on the gita thank you so much um i have a question to start off with please um you mentioned um that arjuna had been prepared through lives to the point where uh, we we end up in kurukshetra and, and krishna's narrating everything to him would the same be true that we also are being prepared through lives and have been prepared through lives exactly so there are two kinds of uh, if i may use the word souls but it has been used like that and the mother has used that there are two kinds of souls who are there is a point up till which all souls move in a similar way but there is a kind of souls which can be called as weak souls these are her words and they have to be qualified with a intrinsic sense within it so the moment they face the great battle of life in any form they begin to shrink and shun and there comes a time when they want to escape from all this jagat janjal as they call it world wide web its english translation and they want to escape because they cannot understand what this battle is about they declare that this world is incorrigibly uh, wicked that it's the field of some mysterious maya kala titan or darkness whatever term and this this duality in which they live they say this world is not god's but my soul can be freed from its clutch and go to god so there are souls like that who want to escape from the world play they cannot become instruments of god but there are those and the mother has said they are heroic souls they plunge themselves into even this darkness as shubindu says if there is darkness all the more reason for children of light to be there if there is the field of death all the more that we come there and reclaim our immortality so all of us or let let me put it like that the large chunk of us the large chunk of humanity is fortunately imbued with this fighting spirit and this humanity is being prepared to be the instruments of the divine over a period of time it's not suddenly in one day but if we take that and who knows the grace can work mysteriously it can shorten the action of lives into a single lifetime that's what yoga is about so and there is a great there can be no greater felicity than to be an instrument of god i mean merger with god is the complete identity is the next greater thing so yes it's the story of everybody like savitri and satyavan satyavan is all of us so arjuna is in a sense all of us are nascent arjuna but the difference is we may take the road of karna easy way to fame seven steps spiritual practices for quick success now that's a different path altogether but if one wants to be arjuna one has to follow this path that has been shown by shri krishna in the gita that you have to live for that which is true good noble high great always to the summits and not only individually but to help mankind in that collective march such a person who doesn't shun the battle of life goes through it with complete trust in the divine and in the eventual fulfillment of the destiny of the race that's what he says that eventually all of us are on that great disclosure of immortality such a soul is prepared and becomes an instrument of god yes we are all arjunas in the making yes um thank you alok bhai for such a wonderful and enlightening session um one question that comes to my mind is uh in mahabharata uh, i i remember one incident when just before the the battle shri krishna asks uh, arjuna to to pray mother durga um is there any other mention of the divine mother in mahabharata or in even in arjuna or pandavas life i mean well the divine mother does come in various uh, you know ways but the most uh, significant one is the incidents where you mention because uh, ultimately 
See, Sri Krishna himself is Kali uh, on the battlefield. And he says in so many words, if you go into the uh, Mahabhagavat Puran, he is Kali who has come in the form of Krishna. Uh, but nevertheless, this worship of the Divine Mother which comes before a battle is because she carries the victorious mandate from the Divine. So ultimately, even if God is on this side, one must make sure that that power of the divine is on the side of the battle which seeks to win the war. Of course, she will not be with the dharma, but nevertheless, even in Ramayana and Mahabharata, both places, in the before the battle, this incidence, this worship of the divine mother comes. But not otherwise, because it's only for the battle that she is invoked as the victorious power and the protection aspect of the divine mother. So we find it in Mahabharata in this way. But Draupadi herself is an incarnation of the Divine Mother. It is also there in the Mahabharata. In fact, there is a very interesting story about her being the incarnation of the Divine Mother. Radha is an incarnation of the Divine Mother, though of course she is uh, mystics doubt whether she is a mystic creation or uh, but that apart. But regarding Draupadi, this is a clear story in the Mahabharata that she is an incarnate Divine Mother. That uh, Bhima is suddenly sees a dream. You know, he is wondering, uh, he wants to kill. But a momentary doubt crosses his mind also, like Arjuna. But Bhima is Bhima. He doesn't want all this complicated answer that there are three gunas, there is all this. He wants to know, will we win or we won't win? So with that idea, he goes into sleep and he sees in his vision that there is a big courtyard where all the warriors are seated and uh, all the four brothers are seated and then comes Krishna and then there is a throne which is still empty and there he sees that Draupadi comes and she is all like Mother Kali, she comes and as soon as she comes, she thunders but where is Bhima? and instantly Bhima comes out of his trance and falls uh, you know, from a uh, pedestal on the ground then he recognizes that she is none else but Mother Kali and she herself has come to you know, make sure that the uh, Kuru clan is destroyed because this was a mission. So there is the embodied divine, the incarnate divine, which is so wonderful. Yeah. Thank you. And in Ramayana, uh, Sita herself, Ma Sita herself is the divine mother, really. Yes, yes. There is a whole Ramayana called as Adhyatma Ramayana, which is seen from Sita's perspective. So, you know, she's asked that, how could Ravana take you? Even in the Ramayana, Valmiki Ramayana, it is there. Before the Sita Haran, Sita and Rama, they come together and say, say now the time has come for our earthly Leela. So, Sita says, alright. So, she gives herself to fire. Meaning, thereby she veils herself. And she becomes Abhidhyamai. That is how Ravana could come near and she says, go after the Maya Marik because, you know, she has assumed that form. But why she went with Ravana was to convert him. Because Ravana, somewhere that love is there. After all, he is Jai Vijay. Her, you know, they used to take care. So she goes all the way to Ashok Vatika to convert him. That may be one day, but he doesn't. And in the end, it is Sita's presence that destroys him. If you see the Adhyat Ramayana, in fact, in the end of the war, whatever Rama does, uh, all of them, you know, come back mysteriously and in the end she takes the form of Kali and destroys because she has the ultimate mandate. She is the Divine Mother. So that's why we don't see so much of the worship outside because um, the embodied Divine when he is present upon earth that we see in Ramayana and Mahabharata and now of course with Sri and the Mother then that takes care of everything. This also Sri brings out in essays on the Gita that while Krishna is the embodied Divine but when he, the imminent divine, but when that imminent divine stands in the forefront, comes as an avatar, that is a very special moment. Then all other things go into the background. Even the gods bow down. That's why you see Indra and all coming down and bowing to Krishna. And you know, it reminds me of something very interesting in the essays on the Gita, if I may indulge for a moment. In essays on the Gita, Shubindu says, the inner fruit of the avatars coming. See, this is about the mystery of the avatar embodied divine, which is very different from these powers and aspects. The inner fruit of the avatar's coming is gained by those who learn from it the true nature of the divine birth and the divine works and who, growing full of him in their consciousness 
and taking refuge in him with their whole being man mana maam upashita purified by the realizing force of their knowledge and delivered from the lower nature attained to the divine being and divine nature mad bhava the avatar comes to reveal the divine nature in man above the lower nature and to show what are the divine works free unegoistic disinterested impersonal universal full of the divine light the divine power and the divine love he comes as the divine personality and in the end he says that nor does it matter essentially in what form and name or putting forward what aspect of the divine he comes for in all ways varying with their nature men are following the path set to them by the divine whatsoever way we love and take joy in god in that way god accepts loves and takes joy in man so this is the mystery of the avatar when the avatar is here upon earth then all else fades into the background because it's the supreme divine taking a human body that's what we see during the uh, ramayana and the mahabharata and that's why shri krishna uh, shurbindo reminds us again turn to the mother that contains everything nothing else is needed because it's the embodiment and embodiment is even greater than the divine in that impersonal universal state because this embodiment helps matter to be redeemed mother goes on to say that just by having faith that the divine incarnated in matter you can be redeemed because just to know that the divine touched matter the supreme is there always but the worship of the supreme does not transform matter there has to be that mediating power and that mediating power is the avatar so yes definitely incarnations embodied divine during such moments is uh, something wonderful is the greatest moment upon earth something which is non replicable thank you thank you very much alok bhai thank you uh do you have time for one more question yes 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 of course anybody want to uh, have a question okay um you mentioned i think two or three times that the pandavas were also egoistic you know just as as the kauravas and all that and and so much of our uh, sadhana and integral yoga is all about uh, dissolving the ego so how does that reconcile in in terms of the build of life so often we take a division as i said a strict division between those who are egoistic and those who are non egoistic but it doesn't work like that because then the non egoistic category will be minimal so <laughs> shrivindo reminds us that the difference between a sadhaka and a man of ordinary life to start with they start from the same point but the difference is that the sadhaka because he has taken a journey started a journey he will come out of this maze of ignorance while the other person is still happily uh, you know munching the grass there so this is the difference that ego is required at a stage of evolution without which we will become a prey to world forces ego serves a purpose nothing in this uh, humanity is without a purpose so if prematurely we get rid of the ego it is like you know the mango which has not yet become ripe to use sri ramakrishna's analogy it is good only for pickle so when we meet the challenge of the world forces we need the ego but instead of being a tamasic rajasic ego it should be a sattva rajasic ego where you are standing up for something which is noble and high and then there comes a time first we discover the true self then the ego self becomes a instrumental personality it changes it doesn't vanish it becomes an instrumental personality through which the divine can act but we don't identify anymore with it so you know that's why people who really have gone beyond the ego they don't say you know this body that is called this no they will still use the word i shubhendra has used the word i mother has used the word i and because naturally they say that i which we think that that i has become an instrumental personality but ego is no more dominating or leading the final dissolution of the ego comes only to the param drashtva one who has seen the supreme below that there is some ego which is remains like a thin veil and um, shri ramakrishna has used a very nice uh, analogy he said it's like it becomes so thin it's like uh, you know line drawn on water so it melts and comes forward especially bhaktas like to keep a little bit of it a thin sliver of the ego that's how they enjoy the relation with the divine so in 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 a yoga which is world transforming yoga the integral person uh, yoga 
we have to go through all these stages in place of the ego the first thing is to discover the psychic being and identify with it now there will be moments when instead of the psychic being we'll get into this frontal personality and we make confuse not confuse because once you have discovered one can never lose that but for a moment we may act under the impulsion of the outer personality then again we step back slowly in this process we are constantly identify with the psychic being within that is first liberation but this doesn't liberate us still from the clutch of the ego because still there is a angle psychic being still acts according to an angle of vision final liberation comes when we are freed from the entire field of nature and its workings and that's what is described in savitri as the cosmic consciousness nirvana and the all negating absolute where one is completely freed from the field of nature what is called as realizing the divine self with a capital s so that is not something which is as easy as it seems so when mother said tell the ego its hour is gone she is referring basically to this tendency of human nature to act under the stress and impulsion of the ego personality the surface man the outer personality that's what she is reminding us that complete liberation from the ego in the mystic sense highest sense the dissolution of the ego in fact if it happens prematurely it's not even desirable because then one will uh, one can even you know there are people who have gone uh, completely um, crazy shobindra speaks of that who have dissolved the ego prematurely and then their nature because what does ego do ego chooses this is right this is wrong i take this i don't take this so it makes one suddenly a football Uh, which is kicked by all the forces of nature so shobindra says if you prematurely break the shell then your nature can become pishachvat unmatvat balvat all these things can happen jadvat just sitting you know without because normally it is through the ego that the choice takes place and it can be in a state of danger so it is better to choose without preference to act without desire to offer the fruits of action and then take the journey so that the ego becomes thin 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 and one day it just vanishes without realizing that oh my ego is gone because that itself is an egoistic uh, you know idea so it must thin out and when it is ripe it will automatically go away we don't have to worry about our focus should be on discovering the divine and make sure that the crudeness the egoism that is not there in nature vanity pride this feeling that i am the doer this arrogance all this should go away this is dangerous so it's ambition these manifestations of the crude ra- rajasic violent rajasic ego that must go away that's what he explains to uh, shri krishna explains to arjuna in chapter 16 the devasuri sampada whereas let the ego become more satvik more malleable and open to the divine ego is that i identify with my satvik nature no this nature also belongs to the divine so by constantly remembering and offering a time comes when this becomes very thin and then eventually vanishes that's how it should go it's a journey process so we'd like to thank you once again on behalf of uh, oramira center for joining us and i believe we are meeting again very soon uh, for our next uh, uh, topic yes so thank, we'll thank meet you very again. much indeed thank you thank you thank you thank you Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you very much. Thank Alok you. Namaste. Namaste. Namaste.